Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. December 14th, 2019. I recently found out about a fallen social justice warrior and a member and a huge supporter of the Black Canadian Content Creators Facebook group. He was a strong pillar in the community, a person and soul who has and was a huge advocate of Black lives and shared his love and appreciation specifically specifically of Black women, plus his adoration for Black people, so much so that himself and his team continuously sacrificed their own well-being to be on the front line to fight for us and eradicate white supremacy. Mr. I.C. Bailey. I.C. just started his path as an author to share with the world his book, Conversations with White People. And it brings me some peace that at least he got to see his work being continued to be seeing that his book was embraced through the support of the digital community that he created with Conversations with.net. I, as a community leader, is I've had many of people build or approach me and wanting to build some form of a connectivity with me. And I, I always am weary because, and it's happened before, where people want to have access to, I guess, a list of the people that is in the group and take advantage of that. And I'm very protective and I really um, thrive on making sure I protect the creators in the group. And so when I see was, you know, when we started talking, I was weary. And he asked me a question, I believe, related to, uh, I think it was podcasting or something. Um, with this sense of I wasn't too sure where the question was I felt like where is he going with this does he is he trying to get you know free work out of me or something and it was a question that I was like you know you basically send the link and the link googles for you the answer that you need to look for and based out of the way that he um his reaction to it, he was very cool about it. And he thought that was funny. And he thought like, wow, okay, I get it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I could have Googled that. You're right. And just from that response, I just, you know, we just built a friendship from there. He has been so supportive of what I do. I've been super supportive of what he does as well. He believes so much in the work with, with what I was doing so, because it was still fresh and new for me, um, where I was really digging my heels into the group, and he was just always supportive and saying how you know doing a good job. And in moments that I question, why am I even doing this? You know, where other people have questioned, why are you even doing this? <laughs> you know, but he was the most like just keep going, community. This is. This is needed and keep going. And it was the same way I, I believe himself 
as a community leader, just understood that sometimes you have a path, something that's just brought to you, whether you believe in God, whether it's the universe, whatever that is. And he just also understood as a community leader that that's needed and you have to keep moving forward. You know, you're called, you called upon doing the work for conversations with and the amazing black and indigenous women that supports and continues to, to create the work and do the work in the, in, in their group, uh, whether it's conversation with, with, with white people, conversations with black people and so on. He was just so strong at conveying that message and having an amazing community of women to, and he knew like, he knew to have these women be the voice, you know, like to be um, the representation that is needed for this kind of work, you know. And so when he passed away, it was very shocking. You know, he came to the studio. He was one of the few people that we had a studio in Scarborough and he came by and recorded the episode that you're about to hear and my life partner and also business partner, Clove, was so impressed and they got along so well that when he left, he was like, wow, I think I, I think I'm, I think I'm going to build a friendship with, with ICA. I think, uh, you know, I think he could be a friend. And when he passed on, it hit us very hard. And uh, when that happened, his episode was coming up and that was back again in 2019. Um, I just never felt comfortable. Um, I just, just didn't. And reached out to his beautiful wife and thank goodness for her blessing of posting the show. I reached out to also his community with their blessing as well. And, um, I'm honored that you're able to hear the amazing I see and his message and, um, you are truly missed. And I just, I don't know what else to say, but other than thank you. Thank you for your mentorship. Thank you for taking the moment to hear me. And thank you for the for the lessons. You are truly missed. This is for you. Rest in power, Brother Bailey. Welcome to the Black Canadian Content Creators Podcast, a show where we focus on celebrating content creators who live or are born in Canada and identify as Black, African, Caribbean, mixed, or Afro-Canadian. I am your host, Shirley Joseph. Today I'll be speaking to BCANCC member I.C. Bailey. He is the creator of ConversationsWith.net. He is an author of the book, conversation with white people dialogues about race inspired by his facebook group conversation with black people the group is a discussion that explores racism white supremacy and the empowerment of black people companion discussions can include marginalization of any group of person and their hopeful empowerment the goal here is to document some of the attitudes and behaviors that have led to the oppression of black people or people of color and marginalized groups globally. It provides a space to make full answers to these systems of oppression. The effects of racism and white supremacy on the black community are a prime concern. 
So sit back, relax, super excited. We kind of we go into learning about Icy, his, his past, a little bit about me too. Uh, but main, most importantly, about uh, the inspiration of conversation with of uh, our conversation with uh, when it comes to the Facebook group. So I'm super excited. Uh, he's my fourth in-studio guest, which is always awesome face-to-face conversation that I really, really hope that you enjoy. Here you go. Here's the show. Welcome to Black Canadian Content Creators. Ah, uh, I'm so excited. I'm always... When I when I say this is because somebody's in the studio with us, Mr. IC Bailey, founder of Conversation with. He's got an amazing. He's also the author of the book Conversation with White People: Dialogues About Race. But you have so many other conversation with Black women, with Indigenous conversation with Black people, conversation with LGBTQ. Mr. Bailey, welcome, welcome to the show. Are, are you speaking to me? Who's Mr. Who's Mr. Bailey? It's Icy. <laughs> Let me do Mr. that again. No, no, it's good. Do you want good. me to just call you Icy, no, right? you can just continue with, with that. You can just, Icy is good. Okay. Mr. We're friends. We're family. You're sure. fans. So, What's yeah. up, Icy? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for you and your team having me sh- here, Shirley. I've been waiting for this for Same. the longest time. Same. We've been talking online and now we get to meet each other right. offline we are real people <laughs> absolutely real 3d manner <laughs> right because sometimes you worry about that online it's right. just a real person it's but, person exactly but we know it because the show is hot it yes. always is and you know what you're doing with the black canadian content creators it's just amazing and you're, across the board and you're, you're doing hype. amazing things with conversation with i mean first of all Conversation with, how did this whole, because it's not just one group. How many groups do you have that's all conversation with? Um, because people can go to conversation with white people. You have black people, as I mentioned. How did this group come about? Like, which one was first? Which conversation with was first? Well, they came about as as a result of me trying to find meaning in the community that I lived in. And mm. trying to make sense of everything I'm seeing, not just in my community, but sort of communities everywhere, mm. what's happening globally. And I'm a child of systemic abuse, grew up in the CAS. And so I've always seen things that maybe other people didn't see. Mm. And I was always talking about it, maybe a little bit too much. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to see what, how other people felt and what other people thought. And started having some dialogue with them. Mm-hmm. So originally started with conversations with white people because I experienced a lot of racism with mm-hmm. white people. If and I if if you don't know and if you Google um, I see and just conversation with and I know you've done you've spoken about. So you were uh, adopted uh, way back when, right? And with a white family, and so and being in. Newmarket, <laughs> right in a predominantly mm. white neighborhood, you a lot of I mean systemic is is deep. Like a lot of things that you went through, uh, the way that you were treated, um, you were not only treated as an outsider, felt like an outsider. So growing up, 
you were in your head a lot. Like you didn't, I'm thinking like based on everything I'm listening, I listened to about you. Nobody had conversations with you. Right. People had conversations at me. Yeah. They had conversations around me, but my voice wasn't, wasn't important to them. It was erased, minimized, ignored, and even um, penalized. Mm. When I was penalized when I, when I would try to use it. So for me, it wasn't all white community. I, um, you know, we're talking in the late 60s, we went through the whole civil rights movement, you know, M- Malcolm Martin, you know, Angela Davis, Toni Morrison, all doing their thing for black liberation. Mm. And on the heels of that, we have what happened, the brothers raising their fists in the Olympics in Mexico yeah. City. yeah. And then we get into the 70s. And so in about 72, 73, after the whole entire of North America and the world is, is in a certain mindset around this. So there's a lot of angry people. Black people are angry because we've been treated like garbage for 400 years. Mm-hmm. White people are angry because they don't like it when black people are as vocal. Right. So all of a sudden, I land in 1972, no black mom. No black dad, no black family, no black people in an all white town of about 40, 50,000 people. Mm. And that's mm. the 70s back then. Was it safe? Like that? Was that around the time when uh, Pierre Trudeau was prime minister and then the, doing the whole um, opening the doors to immigration and allowing people? Like, was that around that time that, in that's, Canada? That, that's more of uh, the, the 80s or so. Okay. Um, but we know that because of all NBC, CBS, um, Fox wasn't really a thing there. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I couldn't even imagine what that would have been like having to deal with Fox at that time. But all these major ABC, uh, we're talking about the work that Angela Davis and the Black Panthers were doing. They were talking about Malcolm X. They were talking about uh, um, Martin Luther King, or at least their legacies, because these people, you know, a lot of them... Most of, you know, a big chunk of our civil rights leaders in the 60s were killed. Yeah. And, and so what you had is you had that, this discourse out there to, to this to racism. Mm. So everybody knew what the issues were. And I, I arrived at, I'd say, just at really around the height of that in, in the early 70s. And okay. so in a town that didn't have any black voices, in a town that didn't have any, and not just black voices, didn't have anybody there to protect black, black children, children. Mm-hmm. right? Because I've always said, what you do when no one's looking tells me exactly who you are. What you do when you have complete and absolute power and no one's looking tells me exactly who you are too as well. Yeah. And so what I experience is people who could take even the most petty Issue that they had the petty, most petty, the smallest prejudice or smallest bias or discomfort or anger or annoyance. Here's this black child. It doesn't cost us anything. There's no accountability circle. We can do whatever we want to to this kid. Yeah. We really need a box of tissue in here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do I'm you? Good. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm just I'm making joke at my own expense here. Yeah. But. But but so that's what it was like for me. So I watched I watched other uh, children my age. I watched children that were older. Mm. I watched uh, teachers, school administrators, 
clerks in stores, neighbors, police. In fact, I make a statement in my book, Conversations with White People, Dialogues About Race. Mm -hmm. I make a statement in my book that I didn't have a single person who had a significant role in my life that didn't abuse me. Every single person. Wow. We're talking from friends to neighbors to teachers, all those folks I just mentioned. How, how did you come out of that? Like, how did you go from that to, like, you must have had to leave, right? Like, you must have had to, ah, you know what, I can't wait to be 14 or 16 and get out of here. Right, so I did. You know, eventually. Yeah. I I left there. The thing about trauma is you can leave the place, but it always follows you wherever you go. And so I'd like to say that, you know, it's this great story and I rise above it all. No, I, you know, I I ventured into toxic masculinity, treating women like garbage, getting involved in drugs and crime and then career and money. And these things were important, you know, destroying relationships, destroying, you know, uh, you know, as a young father, when I was 24, destroying that relationship with my son because I hadn't done the work on on myself. Mm. I was a damaged person. I grew up in an abusive environment. I was suffering from clinical depression. I was suffering at, at times from substance-related issues. I was um, hypersensitive and hyper-alert and paranoid and suffering from PTSD too as well. And I hadn't done any work. So it wasn't this you know, story where I was 18 years old and all of a sudden I'm you know, out there doing responsible stuff in the community. No, I was toxic. I acted as trash mm. for, for a great deal of, of, of my life, and except for the last maybe 15, 20 to 15 years when I started doing work on self, going to therapy, listening to the community. But I'm going to tell you, the saving grace has been the intervention and the timely appearance of black women in my life. Like uh-huh. you. They just sort of show up. Who was the first to show up? Like how, where were you? Do you remember who, maybe not the name, but who it was? Where were you? What was the environment of that first? Well, first and foremost, I have to look at my mother, Carmen Bailey. She was a, um, uh, a person, that came, a Jamaican woman that graduated from the University of West Indies for journalism. Didn't want to cover women's netball or women's sewing circles in Jamaica for the Jamaica Gleaner and decided to come here because she had stories that she wanted to tell. She mm. wanted the world to hear her voice. And this is, we're talking mid-60s now. And uh, if the world doesn't want to hear black women's voices now, they definitely didn't want to hear them then. Mm. And uh, she wasn't treated kindly. She was used, abused, and, and, and so had some problems. And as a result, her children got torn from her, me and my two sisters. Yeah. And so my mother was told, even though she, I'm not sure what the abortion rules were here in Canada then, but mm-hmm. I know that they had pressured her to terminate me. And she'd always talk about, no, she'd never do that. And then she jumped out of a car one day because they were like telling her, you know, if you don't do this and we're going to charge you with some minor crime that for something that you did. like. Yeah. She had had this whole story that she told. So I'm very mindful that the first woman who basically set me here and where I get my generational 
indigenous knowledge, so to speak, is from my mother, Carmen Bailey. God bless her, right? Mm-hmm. And But then there's other women who showed up. It could have been, you know, blackness was taken from me. And while there were some other black people in, in Newmarket, I was made sure that they were removed from my sphere or I, I from theirs so that I can continue to be abused. Right. Yeah. But so there was timely interventions by black women always showing up, telling me how to take care of my hair, telling me how to do basic hygiene stuff, telling me that I'm 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 black and that has value. You know, and 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 that when I look at how they showed up after I was 20, there's about five or six women who've just showed up from um Sister Eunice Hunnigan who saw me in a, in a jail cell and invited me to come and live by her home to, um, uh, to a person who's my mother now. Uh, sister, we always call, you know, Jamaican people have these names, <laughs> but she's, she's my mother and sister, sister Greenland. And I, and I love her like she's my mother. Mm-hmm. She really is. She um, has been there for me. And, her children and I are really connected in a way. We don't spend a lot of time anymore. But what Sister Greenland showed me was what a black family looks like. A loving black family that cares for each other. Mm-hmm. She told me that, she showed me what value I have you know, in, my own, in my own life and the life of others. And she's always been there for me. There's other folks who've showed up. My wife, Sophia, who's... <laughs> very patient when she sees me yelling at the TV and Donald Trump and <laughs> oh, no. Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and okay, <laughs> yeah. relax. And she'll sit down and, and be there for me. So, mm-hmm. and then right now, just the women that, that, um, that give me direction in conversations with. Cause you, yes. Cause uh, you don't do conversation with, you're not on your own. Cause there's so many groups and 99% of the work is done by black women. Let me be clear about this. 99.9999%. And they're going through some of them terminal illnesses, loss of home, um, children aren't well. You know, they're going through various things in their life. And some of them like really positive stuff too as well, like graduating you know, from McMaster and other folks purchasing their first, first homes. But they, they take the time out and invest it in their community and learn to work with each other. It's amazing. And um, I've, been, I've been lucky enough, not lucky enough, I've been blessed enough, I've been gifted enough to be able to follow the direction and put something together that, they can spend their time on. I'm really appreciative of, of everything that they do. So right. yay, black women. Yeah. Black woman Thanks magic. to all black of you magic. listening. Mm-hmm. Then you have, I see that we, I'm seeing today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're part of that. Like last week, how many questions did I ask you? Like, tw- <laughs> like for podcasts, what yes. microphones do we use? What cameras what camera? do we use? Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> first is Google is your friend. That was so funny. <laughs> She's like, Right. Google is your friend. Here's how you use it. And like, she sent me this link. <laughs> she sent me this link. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. It's got all the information in there. 
And I go, and it says, step one, type in www.google.com. Step two, type in the thing that you want to learn about. Type <laughs> step three, press enter. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So let me go, let me, let me go do that. Just do what I'm told. And the funny thing is. Oh, gosh. It's funny. Yeah. But guess what? I learned something. That was the idea. Rather than just asking you for your labor, right? So it was like, okay, I'm in that. And, and then it was like, you just, like, I had a question. Literally 10 minutes later, yep. you just appeared. Like, I didn't even ask you or something. You just sort of, like, appeared. Like, I'm looking around, like, okay. And all these Shirley and her team have microphones everywhere. No. <laughs> like, how did... It's all over Toronto, baby. Yeah, how, we're everywhere. <laughs> how did you know I had that question at that time? And you I don't know. <laughs> and it was just like, okay. I do here, that. Break I, this down. And then, I, I have a third eye. I had to, actually, if you knew my story of of growing yeah. up it created for me to have like oh like i don't know it's just timing <laughs> you know like so okay what, what's that about the third eye tell like tell the, me that, that yeah. oh my gosh do we have a, a couch i'm gonna be make i'll make it quick growing up my parents have my mother is uh, I, she's my mother and i love her but she is a narcissist and doesn't know that she is and so it created for me to be very observant of trying to get a gauge of like, well, what's going on? Is she going to flip out? Is she, you know, because when you grow up with someone like that, you whether you do, you think you're doing something right or wrong, you ain't going to win ever, yeah. ever, ever. And so it's made me in a way extremely intuitive and looking at the smallest behaviors of people from the voice to the, you know, the, the nonverbal to verbal things, because I know, I don't know what to expect, you know, and I want to, you know, when you're little at first, you want to please that person, but that person can't be pleased because they don't really know themselves and refuses to look at themselves and feels that, it's the world who owes them to help them feel good about themselves, mm -hmm. which is not true. So anywho, because of that, I just, I don't know. It just created this weird, um, and I'm at the time very annoying, but now I see it as a blessing. Third eye in some weird, you know, weird and interesting way. I would know. Let me rephrase that. Not weird. <laughs> interesting way. You know, so I. I learned to, I think maybe that's kind of like why I created the group or what I do, what I do. And I think I see that in you as well. And anyone I feel that kind of creates space, mm -hmm. I tend to find everyone I've met who's create space organizers, things like that. We tend to come from a space of trauma. And I think we create the space that we do because we feel we don't want anyone else to experience what we've experienced. So we, we create spaces to make it easier for everyone to not go through the, the hurdle and the, the pain and the, does that, I don't know, does that make no, any no, sense I, to you I, I with, get it. And, with and, what you do with conversation that in a way that's kind of like why you created that space? Yeah, I, I mean, what is our identity? You know, sometimes 
when you're a child of abuse, and, um, all black people in North America and the world because of colonialization or supremacy experience some of this generational trauma and abuse. Absolutely. 100%. So, and we can get lost in stuff because that's what the system was designed to do, whether it's drugs, whether it's misogyny and treating women like garbage, whether it's career as a God, whether it's materialism, um, we can get lost in these things. But one of the, one of the if you, healing recipes is finding purpose in your community. And, and, and I can't think of a better purpose than facilitating a forum or supporting your community in a way that reduces the suffering for other people. And that's a healthy, so if my identity is going to be anything, it's going to be a person who, despite all his challenges of the youth, but despite the horrible mistakes, and, and not even mistakes, decisions that I made that harmed other people, um, that I can still work towards making my community more whole and, and, and finding healing in that and finding a true, a true identity in, in supporting and loving my community. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and yeah, and I think community. that's why we, our community, because I think that's why we do what we do is to kind of gather. Like my Haitian sense, my <laughs> ancestors, you know, it's always like, that's part of our flag. Like, you know, l'union fait la force. So unity is power. Wow, I forgot you speak multiple languages. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> L'union fait la force. Unity is power. Wow. And I think maybe creating, that's why I created space. Because right. it's that, you know. And I think in this day and age of technology and, and digital world, it's a blessing in our community. You know, um, it's power, really, to kind of gather up, come together join our knowledges and our awarenesses and right. our lessons and come together to kind of rebuild ourselves and, and, and feel and be powerful in whatever, you know, in a communal way anyway, <laughs> I see it. Um, and for us to build our voices again, to heal from, you know, PTSD, you know, post-slavery syndrome and everything like that, that we've encounter in our community absolutely walking in here today you know i've never been here before and while you and i have spoke first time i'm meeting your team clove what up <laughs> right engineer <laughs> but, I, but i love this i feel like i've been here before i feel very comfortable it's almost just like i'm i'm at my sister's house and chilling you know with family yes. over there you know i mean so so that's really really important and that that's happened because of the investment that you've placed into your community, right? And, and I'm going to tell you that it, my observations after having thousands and thousands of conversations with different people in different communities, that uh, it's something that black women do exceptionally well. And being assertive, too, at the same time. Because part of creating a loving, caring, nurturing even just straightforward, straight up, this is what it is. Mm. I said what I said. Create that environment where our stories can get out. Right? The black, black women have had to be assertive about this because yeah. no one listens. People treat black women like garbage, including black men, yeah. right? particularly black, black men. We already know 
what the white mass power culture is going to do. We already know what the umbrella of white supremacy is going to do. We already know what that's designed for. But black men weren't designed. Our goal shouldn't be to damage the lives of black women. However, that's what we're doing in mass across the board. We've learned from, from our from from the slave master. Right? We've learned mm-hmm. from these forces that. But um, yeah. so, thank you for inviting me here today. Thank you for yeah. being here. Amazing. Let's put the focus back. Whew, we can go on forever. <laughs> right. We'll go on forever on the other sh- on the other podcast. Right, right. We'll get deeper on that. Okay, but let's sure. put the focus on conversation with. So, mm. so you've just have how well first. How did conversation with start? Like, how did you, did you have one day you're like, you know what? There's nothing out here. I'm just going to create this. Was this an idea that you've heard? And you're like, I'm just going to create a group or how did it so get going? What it, was it, the inspiration? Right. It, it, for me, what happened was, is we've got some great historians, some great academics. We, we can go into the archives of YouTube and read a bunch of stuff. But what was happening for me is I wasn't getting a good feel of, there's things we knew. We knew that white people have an issue with the way racism across the board. We knew that we were suffering. Like I knew all those things. I knew what my experiences were. Mm. But I speak to someone and they say to me, well, you see racism in everything. And I did. I saw racism in everything. I go to the store, I see racism. I go to school, I see racism. Go to work, I see racism. I seen racism everywhere. People would say White people and black people. There can't be racism everywhere. And I'd get in a lot of dialogues about race. And I'd be thinking, maybe I'm wrong. And so their descent to my descent was to gaslight me and make me think that, wait a second, there's something wrong with me. There can't be. I just went to a store and a floor walker just followed me around the whole entire time. Maybe he's just doing his job or maybe she's just doing or they're doing their job. Maybe they're not. Why is this every time I come to the store? Mm. And then I notice the nonverbal cues when I'm talking to people professionally. And then we don't even need to get into how the police behave. Mm-hmm. And then so, so I'm seeing it wherever I go. Let me connect. I have a deeper connection to what other black people are saying. So start having some dialogues with them. I said, you know what? Let's start talking to white people now. Because I want to see where their headspace is really at. Right. What's the thought process? Right. Is this a thing? Do you guys have, is it unconscious? Is it conscious? Do you talk about it? You know what I mean? Are you teaching your kids about like, yeah. Right. Because I was thinking, wait a second. Almost every white person that I run into really doesn't understand this issue at all. There's a few that, you know, are are wiser than, than, than the others. But so what happened was is I noticed that every single time I was talking to a white person about race, racism, that they literally at a level that, like, just complete neophytes, like, like lacking complete knowledge. But then they say things like, I love Dr. King. You know, Ian, if you could be more like Dr. King, I'm sorry. If you could be more like Dr. King, we really loved him. And he had a dream, and it was about love, light, and unity. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? It's not, you're just pushing hate. Be more like Dr. King. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I'm reading research that was done at the time that, that like 80 some odd percent of white people couldn't stand Dr. King. Yep. 
So that can't be true. That can't be true. Then they say something to me like this, Shirley. Not only did we love Dr. King, we love Brother Malcolm too. And I'm thinking, okay, okay, there's now, something now wrong here. Now you're tricking me. Now like, you're tricking now me. Now you're trying to like, <laughs> <laughs> come on now. <laughs> right, because if 80% of you, 80% of you couldn't stand Dr. King, then there's almost no chance that you were down with Brother Malcolm. Now, I know you saw the movie with Denzel, and it's interesting that, um, that at some point in time, I asked a couple of people to point out, I put a picture in front of them. This is just a little experiment I did, not empirical. And I said, um, name all the black characters or all the black figures that you can see. It had Angela, it had Flavor Flav, it had um, Malcolm, um, Malcolm X. But it wasn't Malcolm, it was Denzel as, 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 as Malcolm. Malcolm. And I said, yeah. And I said, oh, and so they went through them. And they said, yeah, that's, that's Dr. King. And some were able to point out um, Sister Angela and um, Maya. They got Tony, sometimes they missed. Flavor Flav, oh, yeah, they know Flavor Flav. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Like, but with Malcolm, a bunch of them said, almost every single one of them, no, every single one of them pointed and said, um, yeah, that's Malcolm. And I said, is there anybody here who's not? The person and I and I kept on probing, and no one said they all saw him as Malcolm. as as Malcolm. And and then I asked people questions about Malcolm. Well, what are some of the things he said? Well, he said by any means necessary, we've got to unite our communities. Oh, well, that's not exactly what he said, but but that's cool. I'm trying to ask them. Okay, tell me what Dr. King said well you said i had a dream okay what else did he say and they're like um have you ever heard of letter from a birmingham jail no he was in jail yeah he was in jail do you know he's beat up too mm. no he wasn't beat up everybody loved dr king so it was type this type of revisionist type of history and gaslighting i just said okay look i'm gonna tell you what i think I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. This is our forum with our voices. We're going to control the narrative here. And um, we started having dialogues. And then I knew at that point in time that I wanted to put it in a book, a concordance, if you will, mm-hmm. for other people to read. And there you go. And then we just started, but guess what? What? Okay, good, cool. What? Knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> we recognize that black community is not a monolith. We also realized that there's other marginalized communities. So then um, we started looking at conversations with other communities. So we started off, the first one was conversations with white people. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's, if you will, the, the, the I don't even like to use flagship, but it's, it's the main group. It's the one that, that I've agreed on. It's yeah. a first, it's a first. And um, then we started conversations with black people. Then conversations with women, conversations with the LGBTQIA2 plus community. Because if your definition of pro-black doesn't include all black people, then what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, then we went to conversations. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. Um, because I'm trying to remember because we have over 20 some other right. groups. <laughs> yep. So conversations um, with indigenous people. Because 
our Native family, our mm. Indigenous family here in Canada, FNIM family here in, in Canada has gone through horrible amounts of abuse. And right to this day, Continue. we are in a living apartheid yep. that's damaging the lives of uh, Native and Indigenous people here in Canada and worldwide. Yep. And then we started, we, we interfaced with some and started some international groups, Indigenous Rise, Indigenous Worlds of Entertainment, where there's 80,000 people there across the world too as well. So we started connecting all these groups together that we started and, and, and provided leadership in under the conversations. Mm-hmm. So we have conversations with mental health, conversations with parents, caregivers, and guardians. That's good. Conversations about religion. <clears throat> conversations <laughs> about Uh-oh. sex. <clears throat> okay. About and, sex. Very and relationships. important. And conversations with people of color. And um, we'll have more. I'm curious about the conversation with black people, the second one. What did you, what do you find that's in the group? Because I could see the importance of of that. Because they are, like you said, black people are not a monolith. And everyone has different ideas within our community when it comes to bigotry and racism and um just all of all of those areas. Like what do you find um is is shared or posted the most in that group? Well, um, <laughs> in the last week, we've been talking a lot about Kanye. Oh boy! <laughs> right, um, <laughs> but but there's some themes. There's some themes, and because the moderators, the fifty or so women who are moderators of conversations with white people, and the four or five brothers who are there. There's a core focus is that black women's voices lead, plain and simple. They provide leadership and um, and wisdom. And we don't tone police, not that we can, because they run the show, plain and simple. So we talk about a lot of things that are important to them. And so some of the issues, we, we talk a little bit about some health care. We talk about, <laughs> we've talked a lot about um, appropriation of our images. Mm. So we talk about digital blackface. We talk about, yeah, uh, white people wearing dreadlocks is appropriation, right? And, and, and we also talk about, I have locks, so I can use whatever term I want to, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know, some people call them locks. Some people, you know, there's an impressional the background dread, dreadful, to dread. Yeah. yeah, I've reclaimed a lot of that language. So for me, I can say what I want because these are mine, right? Mm-hmm. I paid for them. Mm. So, um, and they look great. Thank you very much. That's so nice. That's so nice to hear. That's, that's, that's that means that means everything. That means everything coming from a sister, right? Because um, you know, some days I look at them, I'm just like, getting a bit, we're getting a bit rougher. And, so and then the twisting. sister will come and be like, "Brother, you okay?" Well, you know, Sophia, Sophia, like I'm falling asleep, and she wakes me up and says. She's saying, wrap your head, wrap your head. I'm like, no, I don't want to wrap my head sometimes. Just leave me alone, right? But no, but I have to, I have to do what I'm told. So yeah. it's all good. So what that group is about is really about black women being able to voice the things that are important, important to them. And we talk about a bunch of different things that, um, that come up. And, uh, but it's also stressful because... Racist is going to be racists. Yeah. Like in the other groups. White people are going to say what they're going to We're used to that. We've got 
generational trauma and generational capabilities and dealing with that. Like I can, like, that's easy. Like I, you know, sometimes I just go on auto with that. And that's simple. Mm. But when I'm talking with my fam, it's frustrating when some people come on with this Ben Carson nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. They're hitting me with some Ben stuff. Just need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You know what I mean? That type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Like how are you even going to tell someone who's suffering that stuff or, and that's just manifestation of self-hatred that comes forward. You know, the, the laziness that racism, white supremacy hoist into us isn't really laziness. What it is, it's cultural depression and, and hopelessness and all these other things happen as a result of 400 years of the system grading on us. But what's frustrating is how black men come into spaces and try to speak over black women's voices. Mm. So that's a, a constant theme. Yeah. And it's annoying and it's stressful for, for everybody involved, primarily for, for black women because they're being abused in their own form at times. As a black man, how do you check yourself on that? Because, I mean, it, you know, sometimes conditioning is a thing, you know, and we can fall into it sometimes and we're like, oh, man. Can't believe I said that. I know I said some things. Sometimes my kids look at me and they're like, "Oh, mother, <laughs> that's a very old way." I'm like, "I know, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm human, and you know, how do you catch yourself to, as a black man, to not do that to black women, to not let the toxic masculinity at times come, you know, or patriarchy?" Well, it's first about ownership. Understanding that all men are patriarchal and forget about all men. Let's just focus on I see. Yeah. I see you're patriarchal. You have sexist, misogynoirist. I love that misogynoirist. <laughs> um tendencies. You speak over black women. You get excited about stuff. You speak over everybody, but forget about everybody. Black women have a history of being speak- spoken over. So Ian, you do that often. I'll probably do it in this interview. Right. And um, so, so taking ownership of the fact that 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 I I have my ashy trashy self, plain and simple. Then I go to therapy. My therapist is a black woman, right? And she, um, we talk about what are some of the goals, and one of the goals are like, how can I be more supportive of the black women or in my life? How can I be more culturally secure? How can I be secure in myself? Because a lot of the stuff is a manifestation. Of, of insecurity and, mm. and poor self-esteem and, mm. and self-efficacy. And so to work on those issues and how have you helped someone today? Because if I focus like we started with on our community, then, um, then that can be an identity that lessens my need to have power over the lives of, of black women. The other thing that we've done is that while I'm the founder for these groups, we get arguments sometimes and disagreements and some people aren't always happy with me. What I've done, and what we've sorry, what we've done, is we've created a team of knowledge keepers, and those people have the ultimate control of the work that we do. And they're all black and indigenous women. Yeah. While I hold this thing exactly, while I hold. Do you know how many th- times I've said, if they only, if every person in the world, mm-hmm. I really hold to this. If every, okay, you know what? I'm being kind. If every white person mm-hmm. in the world had a black woman or indigenous woman friend, 
the world would be a better place. Because we'd be telling you, you're trash. No, that's not how you do this. You need to be more loving about that. What are you doing? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> what <Right>. are you doing? <laughs> right. You, yeah. You, you got it. And, and so that group, while I hold this thing called the founder sandals, which isn't really anything, they're going to be handed off to somebody because then, you know, we should always be thinking, you know, seven generations forward and always looking seven generations behind us mm. so we can get that ancestral wisdom. So these knowledge keepers, they really like Fatima and Annalisha and Joanna and Tara and Leanna and um, Aoro and Vivian. And my memory isn't as great as it used to be, but there's <laughs> this, but the leadership that they provide, if I miss any, I, I forget. I'm, I apologize. But when we have an issue come up, it'll go to them and they'll give me instructions on on what I need to be able to do is so that authority triangle with the skinny part at the top and someone saying, I'm CEO, I'm Kanye, the CEO, <laughs> it's inverted, right? Where <laughs> because leaders are, are here to be a, of service. And so when I was a child, I told I was told I'd never be anything other than a custodian or a janitor. And um the funny thing is is that um I became not what they thought I was going to be in the way that they thought I was going to be. And so I don't mind being of service to my community because leadership is sometimes learning how to be, learning how to follow what's important to our communities. It's interesting about you, about all this, your story too. Mm -hmm. I can't help to think this is in a way you are a continuation of a dream or a passion or legacy that your mom had for journalism in terms of sharing community. Yeah. <laughs> well, interesting. Yeah. And, and I, and I thank her for everything that she's given. Me, right. It, mm-hmm. it, it's really, again, it's timely intervention by my community and black women. And I'm not saying that there wasn't other people involved because there was, but the special, if you will, demarcation points are these, these things that just sort of showed up um, are, are, are black women, and including today. Like, I'm going to be honest with you. I've always hated my voice. Again, this is self-loathing. I could not stand my voice when I look in the mirror because I was told I was ugly and stupid looking and all that other stuff. But whenever I heard my voice, I couldn't stand it. But guess what? My friend Shirley and her team, Lovis, Invited me in today, and for the first time in my life, I'm listening f- to my voice, and I actually like it. Nice. First time ever. So that's how community works. And so that's what we're doing with the conversations with. And my first book, Conversations with White People, was, was about that. It was about some of the conversations that we, we've had in the community. Is hockey racist? We talked about that. That's all. In, that's in the book. It's in the book. I saw this coming. I've been watching Don Cherry for years. Uh, yeah. And I've been watching hockey culture for years, I think. So let me say this. Hockey players are an amazing athletes. They're highly skilled. They're committed. They've worked long and hard at their craft. It's a wonderful game. I don't play it. Right? <laughs> I don't watch a lot of it anymore. I used to when I was younger, but it's a great sport. All right. 
but it's got systemic issues. Yeah. yeah. Right. And every single major hockey player of the round 95 who've ever played in the league, because it's 98% white, mm -hmm. have said it's racist. We hear stories all across this country worldwide um, about experiences that minor league hockey players, black minor league hockey players are having. Mm -hmm. So there's issues. There's issues with parents just coming to games and banana peels are being thrown on, on, on the ice. To kids. To children. Mm -hmm. right? And then they say, well, there's no black people in hockey because there's socioeconomical issues. Absolutely, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. That's true. But it's also because you're acting like a bunch of racist trash. Like it's clan, like the hockey game turned into a clan meeting. You're throwing bananas on the ice when there's little kids playing hockey. Yeah. It doesn't what? feel safe. Yeah. Eventually. Would you, no. your parent, would you, would you. I would not continue to subjugate my, my child, you know. Um, that's why I think people like when I see PK Subban do what he does at the level that he does, it's like, man, kudos to his family, you right. know. And I'm, I have a feeling his family was probably always there as his protector, um, you know, security <laughs> and all of right. that, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> cheerleader and all of that. Cause I mean, he, he's, he doesn't come from a small family. So, and then now like you see him and then his brother's getting into it. And so, uh, or his brothers, I believe. So yeah, yeah, his brothers, it's, yeah, brothers. brothers. So yeah, brothers. it's, it's, um, I see them and it's like, wow, like, I cannot imagine the amount of that they had to go through, but they did it and create and open the doors and create a path to make it easier and easier for young black kids who wants to play hockey, but it's still an issue. Like it's still, ugh. Right. Yeah. So, so we talk about that in the book and we have some conversations and you get to see how people don't even want to, you know, one of the big issues that we've seen in the book is just the unwillingness to actually hear our voices. Mm. We say something, hockey's, in our ex lived experience, hockey has a problem. It's racist. Yeah. It's racist because this is what we're experiencing. No, it's not. Like, they want to tell us what our lived experience is without even knowing what that is. And so there's other things we talk about, how black, um, um, black girls are treated. Mm. And we talk about it, like there was a, this, I think his name is Stephen Bell, six foot five, white man. Uh, in, the, in the States that punched an 11-year-old black girl in the face. Just drilled her in the head because girls are going to be girls, right? Which, which is they're going to be human beings and tell you that they don't like what you're doing and you should mind your own business. So he, he just hauled off and punched one of them in the face. And this idea that black women um, are invincible and vulnerable and not able to feel pain <laughs> that they're not considered valuable enough that you would treat them with gentleness and respect is something that we see and that they're that black women are angry and hostile and all these other things mm -hmm. um, rather than just being assertive and 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 wise as 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 get up right yeah and wise and so we talk about that in in the book and it's what is black women leading that and then we 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 also talk about the role of white women and how they've contributed to racism. Mm -hmm. Weaponized, uh, using the police as a weapon and so many, or <laughs> white men as a, as a weapon, you right. know, knowing when to cry or right. yeah, teaching that to, I, I saw that somewhere on a, um, 
I think, I don't know if it was an article, but mm -hmm. a white woman sharing that my mom, yeah, like it's a thing. My mom taught me if, you know, if all else fails, just cry. And I was like, because what? You, you don't understand how hard I try. It's not easy to be told that you're racist and everything. It's hard. I take my kids to school and it's not easy being a woman. And when I'm told I'm racist, this is ridiculous. And it's racist that you would call me a racist. Surely. Like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yes, no, there's no racism in my business, um, the white woman would say, yeah. to the black woman. Ooh, and, then, can, and then start crying forever. again whenever she's pressured. Yeah. Whoa. So who is your book for? Would you say it's more for white people? To, pay, to It's more of a book for white people or anyone? It's first for us, by us, Got right? It. Yeah. Um, so it's confirmation. So black people pick up the book. We read it. Black people, POC, those people who are suffering from oppression, mm. can pick it up, read it, and feel like, wow, I've been here before. Mm -hmm. I have been here before. Yeah. I, I, I'm not, there's not something wrong not with my thinking. Up. It's not made up. What there's, I feel is true. That's right. Yeah. Right, because these folks have exposed that. That's, so that's primarily. Yeah. It's for my mom because... Oh. Um, my middle name is a C. Her first initial was a C. So her name is on a book. So this this black woman that came from Jamaica that um, always wanted her name on a book. Her name is now on a book. Oh, I know. It's my mom. I love her. Yeah, I see. Right, I see. Yeah, I love her. I love her. And then it's also for the black woman who just do what they do every single day and have for like the last bunch of centuries held it down. You know, we're looking at the intergenerational trauma, the rape, the murder, the, the medical mutilations, the being spoken over, being betrayed by black men, um, and, can, and including myself. Because, like, let's get this clear. I'm no better, and probably I'm worse. I'm probably worse. So, so it was for them, too, as well, so that they could see... These, these women that I love, like Fatima and Annalisha and Kylie and all these people who, 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 who work as a, almost like a family, right? Like there's times when I've called Fatima, I'm upset about something because I can't deal with this. Or Fatima will call me and we've been there for each other. So for her, living near Atlanta, Georgia, hmm. right? Um, living in a, near Atlanta, Georgia and dealing with, all that systemic stuff in the dirty, dirty South, mm. right? For her to see her name in print on a book was important to her, mm -hmm. right? So, so it's for, for a bunch of different people. White people can use it, and they should pick it up so they can see that mirror. They can look in the mirror and see themselves oh, and maybe that. stop doing some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how... On a content front of that book and the group and everything, um, well, how would you, what would you have wished you have known when you started out the group and, and the book when it comes to uh, utilizing social media? Thank you. Thank you. And you just put down like the book in front of me. Wow. It's a thick book. I like it. Right. Look at that. Great conversation. And, and I'm going to sign it yes. to, to one of you. From one of your greatest fans. Yes. From one of your greatest, from one of your, your, your deep, deep fans. Make it like, yes. Right. Um, 
yeah, what would what what do you wish you've known when you um when you started out your you know the your content in the group, the book, um, you know, what would you have done better when it comes to the page and your social and well or even like the content that is in the group or the book? I, so this work isn't perfect. And one of the things I could have done better is I could have, I could have done a better job of showing the intersectionality that black women face. It's a, a term for black women, by black woman, for black, black woman, Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, and I could have done a better job of that. Um, from one of the failings in doing this work is that the work claims a lot of space in black women's lives that are doing it. It's stressful for them. And I was never able to prepare them. And sometimes when I asked them, I said, would you like to be a moderator or be involved with this project? I didn't really do a great job in explaining them how painful it was going to be and create mechanisms for them to be able to um, not experience that. I could have done a better job at listening sometimes because while I'm doing this and I'm getting thousands of white people, you know, death threats and all this other stuff, I got my mind, this is the way that I want to do stuff. And so there's times when I wasn't listening to the voices of black women. And, and I've caused some damage, too, as well, in doing this work to other people, mm -hmm. to, 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 to black women. So I would have, I, I would have for, the, for the subsequent versions, it's going to, we've already put some things in place, better processes. The knowledge keepers are there now, mm. right? Um, there's more moderators. There's better processes. And I'm going to really start just taking uh, uh, a step back. The other thing that, I would have liked to do is I would have liked to forward conversations with black women at the same time. And so that that book could come out and people could get more involved in that process. Cause I won't author that book. I'll produce it mm -hmm. so that black women's women can, can have their name on that book. Yeah. Or that's important. Right. This is all about um, using this first book as a way to step up and be able to produce children's books, because we're doing that now, too. Um, we've got some other books that we're producing. I've, I'm writing an, another book called Black Boy, White Town, My Rules for Survival. Wow. And have you seen Zombieland? Yeah. Love, love. So those zombies, you know, it's interesting. The rules in the, to the survive Zombieland. Zombi yeah, yeah, yeah. What was rule one? Cardio, right? Yes. Rule two was double tap. Yes. Rule three was check the back. Check the back. Um, you know, I that rule, I right. use that every single day when I get in the car. You look or in the get in anywhere. I always know. check the back. Right. And I taught my kid, my daughters this too. <laughs> right to look and see. Hey. And see. Oh, hey. And not to be shy mm -hmm. when you check. I've checked the back. I had one guy. I was just real quick. I was walking downtown mm -hmm. and this guy was like walking kind of behind me. But I could see him in my peripheral. I like to say it like that peripheral peripheral <laughs> and so mm. and then he's just walking like at the same pace as me he's not like moving forward and there's this book um oh shit <laughs> uh there's this book uh clove do you remember the name of that book it was like something about fear about it's a book about embracing your fear and not to um downplay it 
don't question it. Sometimes it's like it's there for your survival right. and you have to listen to it. And so um, so after like a few steps, I was like, oh, should I? And I was like, oh, right. That book just kind of popped like, you know, embrace your fear. So I said, hey, man, what you doing? <laughs> he was like, huh? What? I was like, you can't be walking behind a woman like that. Like, this creepy. <laughs> and the gift of fear. The gift of fear. Yes. The gift of fear. The gift of fear is the name of the book. The gift of fear. Pick it up. It's really good. And it's about like explaining about fear and some fears are good and then how it could save you and things like that. And uh, anyway, so <laughs> he was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I was like, yeah, you can't be doing that, man. And he's like, I was just trying to figure a way to kind of pass you because my building's just right there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, no, you can't be doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so go ahead. And then he walked in front of me and he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I hope he, you know, learned the lesson. Like you can't be walking like that. Like, you know, exactly. And you still don't know who that dude was. <laughs> right. Like maybe because you, you, you face the gift of fear, maybe because you just went at it. Like you went at it. Right, and you said what you said. I could have saved my life. You could have saved your life because, or he could have don't... learned a lesson. Like, wow, I'm not. That's not going to do that again. Right, right, yeah, right. right. Yeah. So, um, I remember. I can't remember how this was brought up. So but... we were talking about the rules. So yes, Zombieland. Yes, Black Boy, White Town. My rules of survival. You know, sometimes you read these books, and what happens is with these books. People will tell you this long sort of chronological story about stuff, and it's cool and it's powerful, and that's their lived experience. But, it, like, yeah, I have a right to tell my story. Yeah, I'm sure people are going to love it, but it really—I don't want to tell it in chronological story. So I've told it from a from a perspective of rules that I've learned. Like rule one was learn to tolerate and accept pain; it will be constant. Ooh. Ooh. Right, and that's like, and so in that rule, snap on that. I tell a story of me going to kindergarten the first day with this white lady in this house that I lived in, and I'm the only black kid that, and 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 I wasn't. There was some in older grades, but when you're in kindergarten, you don't know anything that's going on. Yeah. So I'd never been exposed to groups of people. So they're walking me. To, she's walking me to school, and. Other people are walking to school and they cross the street and cars are going by and they're beeping. No, it's seriously. And then there turns out there's a gag of like 15, 20 families that are walking behind us and saying a whole bunch of stuff. And because I'm slow looking around like a kid in kindergarten does, this woman's hit me in my head and people are laughing and it just became this thing. Mm. And then all day long, the first day, it's just pain, pain, pain. Rule number two is be invisible because I didn't have any friends when I was a kid. I just used to read, 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 read. And we're talking grade two. You're not even really supposed to be able to read, but I could read. And so what happened one day is I was never called on in class, but one day I guess I was called on to read. And other children, children suffer or, or struggle learning how to read. And, and, and that's not funny. It's, it's something you, you have, have to help children and nurture them to so that they they can they can learn how to feel comfortable in their own space. But pe people struggle with it. So these white kids are going before me and they're struggling. And I've never had a, a struggle with saying stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it just sort of comes out. And so here's me. I get up there all proud because I've never been able to get in front of the classroom again. And I'm reading this stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, 
Mm. You know, I'm about it. And and then I go back to the desk and I'm hearing nigger and all this other. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing nigger, nigger, nigger. I'm hearing all this stuff, nigger, all these spear chucker. Then the bell for recess rings. And I'm thinking, I start crying because yeah, yeah. they called me. Like, I didn't even know what that word really meant then. I just heard it a lot. I knew I didn't like it. Yeah. But it was just like, it was just BS. So I go outside and I just sat by myself because I always did it at recess because that's what it was. That's the reality, right? Rule number one, except pain. People aren't going to like you. So, but in rule number two, be invisible. Now, what happened as a result of, of me speaking in front of class, people felt embarrassed because they went up. And they were stuttering and people would laugh at them and stuff. But me, the class was just quiet because they were like, you know, this, this brother, this N-word yeah. clearly can read and we can't really say anything. Mm-hmm. So I go to recess and I'm there for a minute and there's a group of kids come up, some of them older now too. Boy, I bet you think you're smart, don't you? Wow. I don't even understand sarcasm too. I'm great too. I don't even understand sarcasm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm smart. And bop in my face and taking my clothes off me and, and thinking it was. So what I learned from that is, listen, Ian, you better like, look, next time you're called up, just don't either go up or make an excuse or tell me you don't feel well or whatever. You need to be invisible. So all of these different lessons, all these different rules that I have are told in chronological order, you know, that, that give folks an understanding of what I went through linked to stories and, and steadfast rules. And so the rules change from basic survival to master basic survival to being the shit. Like all of a sudden I'm not a skinny black kid anymore. And now all of a sudden I'm six foot two. I've been running and fighting my whole entire life. I'm in high school. Now my best friend was a basketball and a football because basketballs, you don't, they don't hit you or beat you. Yeah. And I realized I had these skills. And so now I'm in high school. It's a different story altogether. Yeah, different set of rules. Different set of rules. Oh, right. Yeah. Eventually, and then it's you know. Then into manhood. Yeah. Well, Something like that, that sounds like an interest. Sounds like an interesting. Right. Book so, that, so that's the stuff we're here. we're doing, and you know, but um, one of our team, Becca, she's written a, a children's book, and we're trying to get the illustrations done for that, and so it'll be about forwarding their work. Right, I'll, I'll spend a lot of time um, over the next couple years. M- my stuff's easy to write. The stuff that um, is really, really super important is to get behind Black women's projects, what they want to write, and the art that they want to produce. Mm-hmm. So you have, um, oh man, we can go. We'll have to talk about some more stuff and yeah, on the, on the, on another uh, podcast that we're producing, but you have before you go a, a night discussing racism coming up in December and some other events that will, that you will uh, be doing or be part of. Right. So we're doing an evening signing and panel discussion on December the 5th from seven to 9 p.m. at a different book list at Bloor and Bathurst in uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. And Louis March, who's from Zero Gun Violence, a uh, wonderful man, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Dory Tunstall from uh, the Dean of Design at OCAD, uh, Tennille Spencer, who um, from Deeply Dope Tees, 
and uh, the Black Durham Professionals Association, I think it's called. They're going to all be part of this panel, but hosted nice. by, I think, one of the world's foremost spoken word poets, Lemoy Simmons, who's just on fire at all times. She's amazing. And um, I know Lemoy will be dropping some of her art on that day and hosting the event. And I'm, and I'm, I'm blessed and lucky and quite fortunate to, to have the involvement of these sisters and this brother uh, doing this thing right with me. I see. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you. Oh, the lessons. Um, where can people find you? Where can people a, pick up the book? They can go to like, is it conversationswithwhitepeople.com? Is you one got place it. to Conversa- go? Conversationswithwhitepeople.com. And if you do that, if you put conversationswithwhitepeople.com talking about race and Facebook, you'll see some of our groups and that will link you to nice. everything we're doing. The last thing is conversations with our page, and that will link you to everything that we're doing globally. We reach 18 million people a year in all of our groups and our network. So conversationswithwhitepeople.com, buy the book, conversations with white people on Facebook, get involved in the dialogue, or any of these other groups. Yeah, and if if you're shy, you can still learn. You could read and uh, I know, I, I mean, one example in the group I learned about digital appropriation. I'm not going to go into it. Go into the group to find out more. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for allowing me to come into this amazing, sacred, divine space. Today. Oh, thank you sure. for being here. Thank you so much. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will talk to you. Well, you know what? We'll have more conversation. We will interact <laughs> online uh, in the group. But th- thank you for being here. I well, appreciate mm-hmm. it. Thank you, sister. Hope you enjoyed the dialogue with author, writer, consultant, activist at Conversation With, with I.C. Bailey. The book Conversation With White People, an exploration of ideas on racial justice and equality is out. I.C. examines the conflict of, uh, you know, between black and white people on, on one of the most compelling and controversial issues of our time, racial justice and equality. So pick yourself a copy of the book by visiting conversationswithwhitepeople.com. Or you can join the group today at face- on Facebook, actually. Just uh, search for Conversation With White People. There's Conversation With Black People, Conversation With Women, and so much more. So search for Critical Convos to uh, get to the group for Conversation With White People. Subscribe and never miss the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or any other podcast players. And if you found value with this episode, I would really appreciate a rating or review on iTunes or comment on Spotify and tweet. Tweet us, uh, Black Canadian CC. As you're listening to the show, feel free to like tweet some of the aha moments and lessons that you've learned. So again, it's on Twitter, Black Canadian CC. Oh, and uh, tell your friends, your family, or fellow content creators about the show. That would also help. Follow the show and group on all social platforms. Again, that's Black Canadian CC. And at last, 
visit the group, join the group, have conversation with us, share your latest content. If you are a content creator, just go to bit.ly forward slash Black Canadian CC to join the group. All right. Till next time. Bye. Don't leave breakfast behind. It's easy to make and take these fast, flavorful favorites like fluffy Just Crack an Egg omelet rounds, extra crispy Oscar Mayer bacon, rich Philadelphia cream cheese, or perfectly melty Kraft singles. And of course, a warm cup of bold Maxwell House coffee to top it all off. So whether you're staying at home or you're on the go, you can always wake up to delicious. Find your breakfast favorites today at a grocery store near you.